We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app they learned on the fly in the middle of one of the nation's earliest covid hotspots. so how are those lessons serving the hospital community of holy name medical center in teaneck new jersey today and how is it out there? The demand on our critical care nurses and critical care staff is probably as great as it was back in uh, March and April. This week, we go in-depth with the president and CEO of Holy Name Medical Center, Michael Marin. Are you worried looking ahead to the next two, three, four weeks? I'm, uh, yes, Peter. I'm worried, actually, for the next uh, two, three, four months. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. This week, a story about how those terrible early days of the pandemic have helped steal the staff and administrators of Holy Name Medical Center for the fight still ahead. Some of the earliest cases of COVID-19 in our area can be traced to Teaneck, New Jersey. The spread in and around that community happened quickly, and soon Holy Name was near consumed. But steps taken back in March have served to prepare that community for what they're seeing today. A stretched staff, a rise in cases, and still months to go before the vaccine will have the desired impact. Our Peter Haskell spent time with hospital president and CEO Michael Marin. First question, how are you doing? So we've seen another uptick in cases over the last uh, two months, uh, two and a half months. Um, but we are in a much better place than we were back in March and April. All the preparations, all the changes to the facility and the organization uh, have paid back uh, multiple dividends in our ability to deal with this second wave. Plus, we've learned a lot more about the virus. So we're, we're, we have better therapeutic interventions in, in some of the monoclonal antibodies and the antiviral remdesivir. Um, and so that's given, that's given us an ability to, uh, to deal with this second wave in a much more controlled manner than, than the chaos that we experienced back in March and April. In terms of just the physical space of a hospital, how is that different now? And the places you expanded, did you keep them expanded or did you ramp down and then try to build back up? No, we kept the, the spaces. So we built uh, an additional 100 critical care beds that we added into the hospital that were designed specifically 
for isolating and treating COVID patients. So both keeping our staff safe, keeping the patients safe, all negative pressure, uh, all with all the facilities that, that a, uh, um, a COVID patient would need. And so we're able to very effectively keep COVID patients separate and segregated from the general population. They're in isolation. These are, these are wards that are fully dedicated just to COVID. So there's no commingling of patients. Um, so we kept them all in place. We, we knew when we built them that we were going to leave them up for at least six months to a year after COVID had, had uh, died down. And unfortunately, it never did. And it came back in the fall. Uh, we were blessed in that we kept everything uh, in place and intact. How many, how many COVID patients do you have at the hospital and how many are in the ICU? So today there are there are 65 COVID patients here, uh, and uh, there are 15 of them in one ICU that are on ventilators, and there's another 20 that are in a, uh, a non-ventilated, non-intubated critical care. So they're on high flow oxygen, they're being monitored, and the others are are on our general care unit for for COVID. Uh, all receiving various interventions, uh, whether it's Regeneron or the, mono, the Lilly monoclonal antibody. Uh, we have, uh, we're blessed, too, in that we have a large number of clinical trials that our patients can take advantage of, and, and we've seen many of them be very, very helpful in, in treating this, uh, this virus. How do these numbers compare to what you saw in the spring? So in the spring, we were up, uh, remember in the spring, the whole hospital, all the other business in the hospital shut down. So at our peak, we were at about 290 uh, COVID-only patients. Uh, so uh, still significantly greater than what we're experiencing today. Part of that is because we're, again, these treatments. So back then, someone would come in and they would ultimately stay here for quite some time until they recovered. Uh, or expired. Um, now, because of these these treatments, we're able to get them in, treat them, and usually send them home in about five to seven days, uh, which is a big, big advantage. So the turnover is greater. The average census is a, is a fraction of what it was back in March and April. To be sure, Holy Name Medical Center was in crisis this past spring. Like many hospitals, certainly in our area, there was a great fear of not being able to keep up with the flood of seriously ill COVID patients. It forced the hospital into dramatic action, literally 30 days of construction to build out dozens and dozens of negative pressure rooms and ICU beds to help them keep up. Over the months to come, more than 250 patients would die at Holy Name and a small number of staff, six to eight, also succumbed to the virus. But as Michael Marin looks at it now, that early work is paying dividends today. We hadn't added those beds. We would be uh, overwhelmed with, uh, and, with, and trying to co-mingle COVID patients with non-COVID patients, which is not the ideal scenario. Um, so that would have been really uh, catastrophic at this juncture had we not done that. Uh, but again, fortunately, because we had the ability and the space to, to build those beds, that's, um, that has relieved from a facility standpoint. So we have plenty of ventilators. Um, uh, again, what we were able to purchase back in the earlier part of the year, plus uh, allocations from the national stockpile that we still use 
those are all proved very beneficial and are proven very beneficial now. So resources are not the concern that we had back in March and April. There's plenty of PPE. Uh, there's, now we have plenty of beds. We have plenty of ventilators. Uh, and, and we have these therapeutic drugs. So all of that is new and, and a real game changer comparing this period of time to what it was like earlier in the year. We've read in some places hospitals have therapeutics, but they're not necessarily using them. How does that work at a holy name? Do you have enough, and are you using them? So we actually are using them. Uh, we ran out. And so when we heard of those headlines that there were hospitals not using them, we actually put a call into the, into the state, into the Department of Health and the governor's office and said, please don't allocate any to anybody else, send them to us because we're actually using them, we've run out. Um, and HHS, uh, the, the Health and Human Services down in Washington, D.C., also learned of that and, uh, and sent us uh, a thousand more doses um, of the really monoclonal antibody because we were using them. I don't understand. I know, you know, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misinformation around this virus. And as we you know, inch our way up the learning curve, which has been painful this year, uh, our clinical research team here has been very, very engaged, probably more so than, than most in the country. And they, uh, they believe very strongly in a lot of these therapeutic interventions. We've seen very positive response. So uh, we, we continue to administer the, uh, the monoclonal antibodies. Uh, they have to be given at the right time that we learned, right? So if you miss the window, then they're not effective at all. But if you understand the progression of the virus and can administer the monoclonal antibody in the proper window when it's most effective, we've seen it to be very, very effective. The biggest concern today for Holy Name Medical Center, the strain on staff. Staffing is, is okay, uh, but it is strained. There's no doubt about it. Uh, with, uh, with so many patients on ventilators, they, they demand the highest critical care nursing. Uh, and again, this time, unlike back in the, in the uh, spring, we, uh, we're treating other patients as well. So our normal ICU, our non-COVID ICU is also full. Um, and so the, the demand on our critical care nurses and critical care staff is probably as great as it was back in uh, March and April. So we're concerned about that, but our staff are strong. They rally, uh, they see strength in each other. Uh, they see hope on the horizon with the vaccine arriving and, and everybody getting vaccinated. Uh, so that lifts their spirits, but staffing is, is, is a definite challenge these days. You mentioned how staff hurts finally kind of see the end of the tunnel here. Uh, Vaccine started just about two weeks ago, not quite. What was it like to get those first shots? And what does it mean for the staff to see this and to get these shots? I, I will tell you, Peter, I was not prepared for the overwhelming emotion that enveloped the organization and our staff when they started getting uh, vaccinated. I knew people would, would have a positive reaction I grossly underestimated the emotional response. I saw more staff break down and cry, uh, but tears of joy, not sadness, uh, that when they, when they received the vaccine, because it was a symbol of hope. It was a symbol that uh, we're gonna finally get this, start to get this behind us. 
fully realizing that it's not instantaneous and it's going to take time. But the fact that the vaccine is now developing and rolled out and given to everybody um, really, really gave, was uplifting to people in, in such a way, very, very po powerful, uh, more so than I would have thought. And it, it's a testament to what they've been through, right? The, our staff here had seen the worst of the worst and, and, and managed through it well, uh, very, very well. Uh, and I think we're stronger as a result of it. But the vaccine just broke them down and, and reminded them how frail and human we all are and how susceptible we all are. And the fact that they could receive this vaccine and protect themselves and their families uh, meant the world to everybody. I want to get to that in a minute, but how long is it going to take for all of the staffers there to get their shots? So the majority of our staff are already uh, vaccinated. We've managed, we've been running uh, vaccine clinics uh, around the clock uh, uh, every day. So we've already gone through uh, 2,000 doses of, uh, of vaccine. Um, and so most of our staff, those who want it, we're not mandating it, um, but everybody who is, who is interested in, in the vaccine, we only have a handful left. So we've already started reaching out to first responders in the community. Uh, the, the police, the, the, the EMTs, uh, the fire professionals who are always at risk, they're the first responders. We want to get them next into the fold um, and then uh, take care of our, our staff, families, and, and, uh, uh, and then we'll go out into the general public. Our hope is within, within the matter of the next week or two, we should be there at the pace we're going. And what percentage of folks want to get the shot? So when we did our original surveys, it was, it was in the high 50s who wanted to receive the vaccine, and we still had in the high 40s who were, who were uncertain. When the wave of a positive emotion swept through the organization as people were getting vaccinated, that shifted to the positive quite considerably. And I'd say now... It's in the high 70s uh, people who have uh, wanted the vaccine and have received the vaccine as opposed to maybe 30 percent um, who are 25 to 30 percent who are who are still in doubt. You know what I'm curious about? You were infected with COVID in March. How did that inform your perspective? Oh, it 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 it. it, it being infected with COVID gave me firsthand uh, sort of knowledge and experience and feelings as to what this virus can be. And, and uh, I've told people all year long, you, you need to take this very, very seriously. I, I never get sick. And uh, that was by far the sickest I've ever been in my life. Um, and so I, I have a firsthand appreciation for it. Uh, and I've also used that now. I continue to have the antibodies, uh, so I'm one of the fortunate ones. I have not lost my antibodies. Many have, um, which gives me sort of renewed strength. I know what's there. So when, when I look at people who have not had the virus and they question whether they should get the vaccine, I, I will always tell them you should really – I know it's new science and it's, it's new here, but you have to weigh your risks of the virus versus the vaccine – and I would say the risks to you are far greater if you got the virus than, than the vaccine. You should really consider taking it. Um, and so we've managed to encourage a, a lot of people in, in subtle ways and using my own experience as a way of getting people to consider it. You talked about the emotion that you saw in the hospital. 
It has been such a grueling year for healthcare workers everywhere. What has this year been like for your team? There's no doubt uh, the the stress and the uh, 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 that the staff have gone through, the experiences they have are, are professionally one of a lifetime. You, uh, hopefully, they'll never have to see that again. But in every cloud, Peter, I will tell you there is a silver lining in here. There is a renewed uh, sense of strength and a renewed sense of purpose. Uh, anybody who doubted why they got into this profession or wasn't quite sure or thought it was just about a, a job and a paycheck, uh, this year washed all that away. And there is a renewed sort of commitment to help and service your fellow man here. Uh, there is a camaraderie amongst all of our staff that is stronger now than it ever was where people are willing to go above and beyond to help their colleagues um, both in dealing with the PTSD that comes with this uh, but also in just the workload that, that's there and, and being supportive and counseling and helping everybody through so when you see that and you see the the unity and the and the the, the bonding that has occurred in, in greater ways than ever before um, it's not all tragic, and, and we realize that, and, and hopefully we can hold on to that and carry that forward. Uh, even in the organizations early on in the year, I was, I was very uh, impressed by uh, the period of time when hospitals were cooperating and helping and supporting each other, and, it, and to me it proved as resources for the community, all of us, whether you're nonprofit or for-profit, our main purpose is to service the community. And when we work together, we're a hundred times more effective in doing that than when we compete with each other. And, uh, and I called for it back in, in April, I'll call for it again now that this renewed sense of collaboration and purpose. And if we stay focused on caring for the communities that we're here for in the first place, we're all going to we're going to have a much better and a much more effective healthcare system than we ever had. You know, I want to take a step back if I could. We've heard these dire predictions about a post-Christmas surge. What do you see and what are you most concerned about? So I don't I don't we thought the same with Thanksgiving and I don't think it has anything really to do with the holidays. I think what we're seeing now is a surge that's related to the weather and people just being indoors more often than not. Uh, shorter days and so there's less sunlight and there's less activity outside. That really is the main surge. When we look at people coming in now uh, there are no super spreader events. There's no gatherings of, of people that uh, related to either Thanksgiving dinner and we're hopeful with, uh, with Christmas and New Year's the same. Uh, it's not the holidays themselves that are driving it. It's just the time of year and the fact that the virus now is everywhere. And you cannot, uh, you cannot assume at any point in time or let your guard down that the virus isn't there. You, you literally have to operate your life as if everybody you come in contact with, family, friends, and others, uh, are, are going to be COVID positive, or at least some of them are going to be COVID positive, so you have to take those extra precautions. Are you worried looking ahead to the next two, three, four weeks? I'm, uh, yes, Peter. I'm worried, actually, for the next uh, two, three, four months. Uh, it's going to take a while for the vaccine to kick in and for immunity to build. Remember, this is a, the, the 
mRNA vaccines that are available now are two shots. Uh, one is 21 days later, and, and the second, uh, the Moderna, is 28 days later. And so, and then it takes 10 days after that for your immune system really to kick in. So we're looking at, at a month and a half to two months before an individual has real immunity from the vaccine. They're, so they're vulnerable during that period of time. And then it's getting the vaccine out to as many people as possible. That's all going to take time. So realistically, we're still in this um, for another, another six months or so. My hope is that we have a mild uh, and warm spring and early spring and people can get back outdoors again. And I think that by itself probably helps the most. Uh, it's not a time for people to let their guard down, not you know, continue to wear the mask, continue to wash your hands uh, diligently. Those two hygiene precautions are, are paramount in this. Coupled with the vaccine, hopefully uh, we, can, we can get this, this virus to, to mitigate itself and, and really just uh, become less, less virulent than it, than it has been. You talk about six more months, and this has been such a brutal, draining, and deadly time. Do you feel like you see the end of the road? And does, does that kind of change your mindset in any way? It, it, it does. So I, I, I can see the end of the road in, in numerous cases. And like I said earlier, when, when I see the people who come in here uh, who are newly diagnosed with, with COVID and get that one infusion of a monoclonal antibody, which boosts their immune system and see the positive response, even if you're not vaccinated, hope and optimism, you know, abound around us and research continues at an accelerated pace. So we're, we're more optimistic than ever that, uh, that we can, we can control or at least help manage this virus, uh, much more effectively than, than we had in the past. We still have a lot to learn. Um, the industry as a whole, the professionals, the scientists are, are still relatively low on the learning curve when it comes to this virus in terms of its transmission, its incubation period, uh, when are you most contagious, uh, then its treatment, and then its long-term effects. And so we've seen a lot of people come back um, months later with, with ongoing sort of lingering effects of whether it's a lot of people complaining of vertigo or, or general fatigue and malaise that they didn't have in the past. Um, there's a whole host of secondary symptoms and conditions that are lingering long, long after, and we'll have to deal with those. Um, and we, we're helping people as effectively as we can. But we are very optimistic now that, uh, that people are, uh, the, the industry as itself is, is stronger and going to be able to be more responsive. And so these next six months, while challenging, we're, we're, we're facing that challenge armed and ready as opposed to disarmed and, and hoping. With that said, last question for you. The, the year is coming to an end. It's been, to, for a lot of people, a very long year. What is your sense saying goodbye to 2020, ringing in 2021, and just turning the page, so to speak? Well, I, it's interesting, Peter. I, I spent a lot of time reflecting on that this time of the year, and I communicate often to our employees. And when you look at, um, you know, the 
the cover of Time magazine that, that you know, 2020 with a big X in the middle of it and the worst year ever. Um, I understand where and why that comes from. And I actually told our staff, this is not a year you ever want to forget. You want to remember it forever um, because you want to learn from it. And we want to, we want to make sure that the horrors of the year don't repeat themselves, but the positives of the year can, are nurtured and, and grown over the years to come. And there, there were a lot of untouted positives throughout the year. Um, that all came in, in different ways. When you look at the, uh, the renewal of family and, and all the things that came out of the, the surrender to isolation that we all had to experience, um, there, is, there are blessings there, and we need to embrace those blessings. We also have to move forward and not, I've told people here, there is no reason for anybody to ever believe that this is a once in a hundred year type of pandemic. Um, we're in a new age. The, the world's population is at the greatest levels ever. We are a global society now. Uh, it's part of why all the lockdowns and the isolation didn't work as well. When you, Early on, back in March and April, the, the common headline was flatten the curve, flatten the curve. And states and regions did things that were effective in flattening the curve. But when you look at that curve on a global basis, we never actually flatten the curve. And because that to me is a testament to just how connected we are as human beings around this globe. And it's a reminder that, that unless we act in unison and respect the fact that we are one species uh, interdependent on each other, uh, then if we forget that, then we're going to make the same mistakes again and again and again going forward. And so to me, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of learning that can occur from this year, a tremendous amount of wisdom that can be bestowed upon us if we listen and observe it properly and make ourselves better going forward. Mike, is there anything else you want to add that we should have talked about and didn't? I would just say, you know, with all the, the emotion that, that arose and the, the sort of the criticisms, if you will, and the positives, when you look back, no one's ever going to be perfect in the middle of a crisis. It's just not how we, we're not wired that way. You, you move, you make mistakes, you learn, you keep moving forward. Um, and while it was a tragic year, like I said, I, there was an incredible amount of, of positive that came from it. Sometimes you just have to step back and, and, be willing to dismiss the emotion to see it. And, um, and I think ultimately for me and for the staff here, that's our takeaway. We know if you ask our employees now, they're, they, they feel stronger and more renewed today than they, than they ever have in terms of their commitment to be physicians and nurses and caregivers and why they do it. And, and that makes them better at doing it. And so, I'm very hopeful that the future generations of people that walk through our walls and seek our support and help are going to have an even better experience because that's the phoenix rising from the ashes of this, of this virus. Uh, and then if there are additional infectious diseases and there are additional pandemics that are going to come and, and infect the globe, we're going to have a better sense of how to deal with them in, in both uh, our capacity and our, our speed to innovate and design and cure. That's a pretty neat way to tie up the year 2020. Find the positives 
and be ready for what's up next. My thanks to Peter Haskell and to my friend Michael Marin for sharing his story with us. 880 In-Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. Executive producers are Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Shell. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Our best wishes for 2021 to everyone listening. And please be healthy and be safe. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 